Well, I'm just going to take a few minutes today. I don't think this will take long with I, what I feel like God is, is um, pressing on me to share with you. Uh, but I, I want to be up front with you. Um, when Dustin had asked me some time ago to speak on Mother's Day, which I've been doing the last few years, um, I really started digging into the Word, and I, I kept going back to a man named Elijah. I got to studying on Elijah, and I can tell you I have at least a three-week series. So, um, and then I called Dustin the other day. I'm like, ooh, am I supposed to be continuing the Philippians series? And he's like, yeah. So, we are going to continue the series of Philippians, and we'll talk about Elijah some other time, okay? Lord Jesus, be with us. Holy Spirit of God, overshadow us. Open up our eyes and our ears to hear what you want to say to us. In Jesus' name, we're going to trust you, Lord. So we are going to pick up um, in the book of Philippians. Um, we're right smack in the middle. We're going we're gonna to jump into chapter 3, and we're going to read through verses 1 through 11 and then start picking see what God is wanting us to take from it today. Um, but who has ever written a letter? And then you divide it into chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter... No. And neither did, neither did Paul. When he wrote Philippians, it's a letter to the church in Philippi that he had started earlier. And it's a letter, and he just wants to thank them for all the support they have given him through the years. He wants to encourage them, and he wants to teach them some more. He wants them to keep on maturing in their walk with Christ. And so even though we're reading chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, it's just the middle of his letter. That's what it is. So let's just kind of put it in perspective, what they would have been reading right before we jump in. He was telling the church in Philippi, as he's writing this letter, about a man, and I'm going to butcher this, I know, but Epaphroditus, something like that, is the man's name. And I'm picking up from the things I've studied that maybe this guy was kind of a go-between between the church and Philippi and then um, taking care of Paul because we know Paul is now in prison and it's probably in Rome. Uh, and we hear this guy's name mentioned again later in the letter too. But he's telling them, the church, that this guy has been really sick and he almost died while he was taking care of Paul in prison, because again, a week or so ago, we learned that in prison, in those days, they weren't provided their, their food, they weren't provided clothes to wear, so somebody from the outside had to take care of Paul while he was in prison, and this man had been doing that and almost died. And he had heard that the church in Philippi had heard that he almost died, so they were worried about him. And then he got worried about them because they were worried about him. And so Paul's like, you know, I'm going to send him to you really soon so that you can see for yourself he's good. And he'll be good. Everybody be a good. And then he starts, and we're going to start chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Paul says, but whatever happens, he's just telling me about this guy almost dying. But whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. 
He says, I never get tired of telling you these things, and I'm doing it to safeguard your faith. He says, watch out for these dogs, these people who do evil. They say you must be circumcised to be saved. He wanted to make sure they didn't get caught up in something other than Jesus Christ. And Paul was never one to mince words if you haven't caught on. He said, for we who worship by the Spirit of God, we're the ones who are truly circumcised, which means we are in covenant with God now. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We don't put our confidence in human effort. Though, he says, I could have confidence in my own effort if anybody could. And then he starts listing why. Okay, he says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. He knew which tribe he was even from. A real Hebrew, if there ever was one. He goes on and says, I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest confidence to the Jewish law. He could have a lot of pride in that, as many others did in that time. He said, I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. wonder how many people could say that. He says, I once thought that those things were really valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when you compare it with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with him depends on faith. He goes on to end this part with, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I too will experience the resurrection from the dead. As I was reading these 11 verses, there was a word that kept jumping out. Did you catch it? Faith. It seems like, especially this year, I feel like almost weekly, somewhere in the message, we come around to faith. In fact, earlier this year, we had a series called Words Matter, and week two's word was faith. So I got to thinking, if this word keeps coming up, maybe we should go back and review what Dustin told us faith was. So I've just got a few bullet points for you, okay? And maybe you have your notes from week two and can follow too. But Dustin said that faith goes hand in hand with 
fled. It begins with belief in Jesus that he is who he says he is, and he does what he says he can do. It's then followed up by our allegiance or our devotion to Jesus. We can say, I trust Jesus. I am his. I have confidence in him. I'm committed to him. Jesus is the one that now determines my priorities. He is the center of my life. It is no longer about me getting my way. And it's not about Jesus being my special genie in a bottle. But our faith is trusting in our very core, in Jesus alone. That's the faith we've been talking about lately. And this is the faith that Paul is telling us we need to safeguard What do you put in a safe when you are saving valuables? You're putting the most valuable things you have in a safe so that nobody and nothing can steal it from you and take it away from you. And that is what Paul is telling us we should do with our faith. We have to safeguard our faith. Now, see, there was a time that we just read Paul had a lot of faith in himself and what he could do. What happened that changed his perspective where his faith should be? He had a personal experience with Jesus, and he started believing that Jesus really is Jesus says he is. I want to go back, and I know we did this recently, but I want to review back at the beginning of Paul's story of faith in Jesus. So we're going to read some more scripture here. But Paul, he just explained to you what he was doing. He was a Pharisee. He followed all the law. And then he also persecuted the Christians in that day. He really thought in his righteousness that he was doing the right thing by pursuing and chasing down Christ followers. And he was on his trip to do just that. He had a mission. And we find it in Acts chapter 9 that he's on the way to Damascus. He's on a mission. And his goal is to arrest all Christ followers, take them back to Jerusalem so they can be killed. But Jesus had a different plan in mind. Let's pick up Acts chapter 9, verse 3. As he was approaching Damascus on his mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone around him. He's heard the story. And he fell to the ground, and a voice said to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Let's stop here a minute. I got two things I want to bring up. Number one, I thought we were talking about Paul. So now, who's this Saul guy? Some of you may know, but if you don't, Paul had a dual citizenship. He was not all, only a Jew, but he was also a Roman. And his Jewish or Hebrew name was Saul, Saul. 
and his Roman name, which we more commonly refer to him as, was Paul. So it's the same dude. The other thing I want you to know is when you are reading and studying scripture for yourself, notice the punctuation notes and the marks because you'll read the Bible so differently. It will come to life. So let's go back. Let's pick up verse 4. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you, Lord? And the voice voice replied with an exclamation mark, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up, go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. Now the men with Paul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of this voice, but they didn't see anybody. When Saul picked himself off all the ground, he opened his eyes and he was blind. So his companions, I want you to take note, his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. Now, there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord had been been speaking to him too in a vision. He said, Ananias, yes, Lord, he said. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas And when you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. In fact, he's praying to me like right now. And I have shown him in a vision uh, a man named Ananias is coming to him and laying hands on him so he can see again. See how God's got this all set up? He's over here talking to Saul. He's over here setting up Ananias to get ready for Saul. But I love this. I love this because I see myself in Ananias sometimes. Like, I want to hear from God. I want God to give me something to do. Show me what something. And he does, and it's like, but Lord, <laughs> whoa, I didn't mean that. <laughs> and he says, but Lord, I have heard many people talking about the terrible things this man is doing to believers in Jerusalem. And now he is authorized by the leading priest to rest everyone, including me, he's saying, who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go. For Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles. He's telling him, I've got a big plan for this guy. Your part in it is to go and share with him what I'm telling you. He says, I am going to show him how much he has to suffer for my namesake. So Ananias did it. He found Saul, he laid his hands on him, and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road, he sent me to you to regain your sight and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And instantly, as soon as Ananias followed what God had told him to do, even though he was scared, he did it afraid. And instantly there fell something like scales from Saul's eyes, and he could see, and he got up, he was baptized. Afterwards, I just wanted to finish these couple little verses, even though you're like, what? Afterward, he ate some food, because he had been fasting, 
Saul. He ate food, he regained his strength, and then he stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. He let them take care of him, hung out with them, learned from them, and then he immediately he began preaching about Jesus. This guy that he had been wrapping up all the followers of and killing, he changed his story because he met Jesus. And now he's preaching, he is indeed the son of God. Now, everybody has a faith story. Maybe yours did not start quite as dramatically as Paul's did, or maybe it did. I think it would be awesome someday to just sit around telling our stories of how we met Christ. But what I did was I started going back through the list that Dustin had told us. Did he really experience the same faith that he's now telling us that we need to safeguard? And yeah, he first started trusting that, you know what, Jesus really is who Jesus says he is. He trusted him. He had confidence in him. He was committed you know this, Paul, how committed he was? He definitely made Jesus the center of his life. And now he's telling this church in Philippi, the church he had started. You know there's a difference when you start a church? You love those people so much. They're like your kids. I know. (laughs) And you want the best for them. And he's telling them they need to save guard their faith, this faith. You're like, why do you keep saying that? Well, I'm going to tell you why, because sometime in your life, your faith is going to be tested. And if you feel like right now, well, I don't even know what to talk about. You will know what I'm talking about someday. We are still in our flesh, and you will have your faith tested. But I want to take some lessons from Paul's story. First of all, as you read through the story of Paul, you never find him trying to do it alone. Our walk of faith is not a walk to be walked alone. He always had somebody with him. It might have been Silas or Timothy or Titus, but somebody was with Paul, somebody that could encourage him and he could encourage and they could walk this walk of faith together and you are going to need it as well. From the very beginning, when I said I wanted you to notice, when he was blinded and couldn't see, he had companions around him that took him by the hand and led him. Sometime in life, in your spiritual walk, you are going to have something happen that you feel like you are blinded. You can't find your faith. You are struggling with your faith. Make sure you are surrounded by people that you trust that can take you by your hand and say, come on, it's this way. Our destination's this way. Just hang on to my hand until we get there. Or maybe another time in your life, you are going to need an Ananias in your life. Somebody that you know God talks to about you. If you've ever wondered who that might be, God puts pastors in our life, and he talks to our pastors about you. Keep open communications with your pastor. If you need to set up an appointment to better know your pastors, make sure you know your pastors, because someday you're going to need to hear from them 
what God is telling them about you. And then I love how after he was converted, he was baptized, he got up and he ate, and he hung out with some Christian believers and regained his strength. We do that around here too, and we call it our life groups. Have you ever heard of life groups? Well, we eat. <laughs> we eat, but more importantly is we get down to the nitty-gritty with each other. We are real with each other. We encourage each other. And if somebody is struggling with something and their faith might need strengthened, we help them regain their strength. You need to do that too. You know, I don't know if you noticed, but these songs lined up beautifully with faith because God chooses to use our faith to do his work. When you read through um, the New Testament, when Jesus would heal people, he would say, your faith has made you whole. As your faith is, so be it. That's how important our faith is. So this last song they were singing, who am I? Who am I to keep God from doing his work because I'm letting my faith get weary? No, 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 no. We have to keep our faith intact. We have to safeguard our faith because our relationship, our righteousness with God is depending on it. Towards the end here, I just want to wrap up with going back to a verse that really stood out to me in these 11. It was... Uh, the verse 8, when Paul said, everything else is worthless when you compare it. I mean, if you line it up, line it up. This thing that I think is so important, when compared to my faith in Jesus Christ, is nothing. And yet, we as human beings, we find ourselves many times in situations that we think are so important. These things in our life are so important, and it's so easy to start letting Jesus kind of go to the side. Oh, he's there. He, he's there if we need him. But you need to have Jesus be the center of your life, or you're going to struggle to keep that faith safeguarded. So my advice to you, whatever you're going through, whatever it is, make sure if Jesus is kind of slipped to the side that you bring him right back center. He is the most important thing in your life. And he wants to do amazing things with and through us if we keep focused on him and keep safeguarding our faith. So I'm just going to tell you two things. Make sure you are keeping your faith safe and whatever it takes, keep fighting for your faith. Not only do you need it, but everybody in your life needs you to do it too.